0: You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. What they are not to do and why. When God promised Abraham a land, he said it would happen later. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. These iniquities included child sacrifice. Now God would judge them. So he gave them instructions on how they were to relate to the peoples they would dispossess, including their destruction, forbidding of intermarriage, and the elimination of all altars and idols. And this overthrow was certain, because it says, when, not if. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess, and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you, and when the Lord has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally, make no treaty with them, and show them no mercy. Seven nations are mentioned here, but in some places only six are mentioned. The Girgashites included here and in Joshua 10:24 and uh, Nehemiah 9, 8. They are descendants of Canaan according to the table of nations in Genesis 10, um, which then scattered after the flood. In God's second promise of land to Abraham, he mentioned ten nations. These were all of varying sizes, but the point here is that they were larger and mightier than the fledgling nation of Israel, who were escaped slaves with no permanent home, whereas these nations were established and entrenched. These groups controlled areas of land centered around one or more fortified cities, It gives you an idea of the population of the time since Israel numbered around 2 million and they were smaller than these seven nations. So they would be delivered over to them by God and they were to be defeated and totally destroyed. They were the instruments of God's justice for centuries of idolatry and wickedness in which they persisted. God says they are being driven out on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. They were to make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Other times they could offer to coexist peacefully with some nations, but these ones living in the promised land had to go. If we recoil at this order of genocide, we need to keep several things in mind. First, God is holy and hates sin wherever he finds it. He is omniscient and is not fooled, but knows exactly what they have done. He is the creator and judge of the universe and has a right to judge because he is the standard of right and wrong. And we don't see the awfulness of sin in ourselves or others and therefore have the audacity to feel we can stand in judgment on God as if we were on the high moral ground because even these innocent children would grow up to commit the same atrocities. Finally, if they were allowed to remain, they would influence the Israelites into idolatry and immorality, and this did happen because they failed to obey God fully in this matter. So we need to see God's larger purpose in the world through the Israelites as the lens through which all these events are to be understood. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. He gave the command, the rationale for it, and the result of disobedience. The nation of Israel was to be different, to reflect the uniqueness and holiness of their God, So this was done in many ways. They were to keep to themselves and not intermarry with those in the surrounding nations. Their diet was unique, their laws and festivals were unique, and their behaviour and worship was to be distinct. Because of the intimate nature of marriage, the idolatrous spouse, especially the wife and mother, would lead the family astray. And this law forbidding intermarriage was not cultural, but religious. It was because they were idol-worshipping pagans. We see this reiterated in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah when they returned to the land after 70 years of exile and many of them had intermarried with the pagan women, teaching their children their mother tongue and threatening a return of God's judgment on them. Nehemiah used the tragic example of King Solomon and said, Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or the language of one of the other peoples, and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel, but even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you too are doing all this? Terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women so the NIV uses the word foreign but the new King James Version calls them pagan women but now our God what can we say after this for we have forsaken the commands you gave through your servants the prophets when you said the land you are entering to possess is a land polluted by the corruption of its peoples By their detestable practices they have filled it with their impurity from one end to the other. Therefore do not give your daughters in marriage to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them at any time, that you may be strong and eat the good things of the land, and leave it to your children as an everlasting inheritance. That's Ezra chapter 9. Verses 5 and 6, what they are to do and why. So instead of intermarriage with the inhabitants of the land, this is what you are to do to them. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their idols in the fire. They were to remove all evidences of idolatry. This would remove the temptation to worship in the same way. If you look up Asherah poles, you'll see a picture of a statue that looks like a tree trunk that spreads out its roots at the base, but the top has a concave circle or heart shape with breasts and above it a head which sometimes has branch-like projections coming out of it. It is sometimes called a tree goddess, Astarte, queen of heaven. Uh, Asherah was a Phoenician fertility Goddess and the supposed consort of El. Moses uh, later on will add: Do not set up any Asherah pole beside the altar you build to the Lord your God, and do not erect a sacred stone, for these the Lord your God hates. So the sacred stones were also Canaanite in origin and represented phallic symbols for fertility. A similar idea is found with obelisks today. God didn't want any syncretism to creep in, so people would worship him and idols. Idolatry was appealing and seductive, and the best way to prevent it was to remove all objects that would remind them of it altogether. At a later point in their history, the Israelites would even put these idols in the temple of the Lord. King Josiah's reforms cleansed the temple. The king ordered Hilkiah the high priest the priests next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and moon, to the constellations, and to all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord, the quarters where women did weaving for Asherah. That's in Second Kings 23. So the basis for this command was their uniquely privileged status as his chosen people. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Those descriptors are significant. Holy, chosen, his people, his treasured possession. This description is in several other places in scripture, and the reason they are also judged when they take this privileged relationship for granted. Amos 3.2 says, You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your sins. So this theme of election runs throughout scripture. Abraham didn't decide to leave Ur to go to Canaan. God chose him. Jacob didn't choose to be favored. David didn't assert himself to the throne of Israel. The Israelites did not decide to leave Egypt one day. God does the choosing for his own purposes. Therefore, they needed needed to stay separate from the pagans. Verses 7 to 10, it's not you, it's him. So why were they chosen? The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. They were the runt of the litter, the smallest nation in the area. They were like David and the other nations were like Goliath. They had nothing to commend themselves to God. The basis of their election was God's love and covenant. It's even called his covenant of love. Elsewhere they were commanded to love, but here they are assured of his love, and that's why he went and redeemed them from slavery. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors, that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of the king of, of Pharaoh king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. But those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate him. The phrase a thousand generations is a Hebrew way of expressing an infinite number. The response of God to God's love and covenant is to be love and obedience it's the faithfulness of God to keep his promises that is the reason that they will be successful in possessing the land it's also why evil will be judged verses 11 to 15 blessings of obedience here we have the conditions of the covenant from the point of view of the Israelites they are to obey and the result will be blessing Therefore, take care to follow the commands, decrees, and laws I give you today. If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you, as he swore to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine, and olive oil, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks, and the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. You will be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless, nor will any of your livestock be without young. The Lord will keep you free from every disease. He will not inflict on you the horrible diseases that you knew in Egypt, but he will inflict them on all who hate you. The overall Blessings that he are that he will love them, bless them, and increase their numbers. Um, the specific blessings relate to children, crops, herds, and flocks being blessed. They will not be childless, which was seen as a reproach in that culture, and they would be kept disease-free, a true blessing in a time before modern medicine. Verses 16 to 24, don't be afraid. You must destroy all the peoples the Lord your God gives over to you. Do not look on them with pity and do not serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. You may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt you saw with your own eyes the great trials, the signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until even the survivors who hide from you have perished. Do not be terrified by them, for the Lord your God who is among you is a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once or the wild animals will multiply around you. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you, throwing them into great confusion until they are destroyed. He will give their kings into your hand and you will wipe out their names from under heaven. No one will be able to stand up against you you will destroy them." So they are again reminded of their duty. God knows their apprehension, but Moses reminds them of God's power and faithfulness in the past, of which they were eyewitnesses as children. And even though the nations they are entering are stronger than they are, numerically and militarily, they are not to be afraid or strategize on how they will accomplish such a feat, This God that brought them out of Egypt by many signs and wonders, like the ten plagues and dividing the Red Sea, would do the same to the peoples that they feared. Any God who could defeat a superpower like Egypt would have no trouble with a few smaller nations. D.A. Carson says, Fear is the opposite of faith. The Israelites are encouraged to not be afraid, not because they were stronger or better, but because they are the people of God and God is unbeatable. So therefore their response should be unshakable trust. So this resettlement will be gradual over several years Uh, otherwise the land would revert to a primitive state where wild animals would take over the area. Many take the hornets that he promised to send to any survivors who are hiding as figurative of an army that would send them into panic. But I don't have a hard time imagining literal hornets being sent because they would easily find people who are hidden and draw them out. There was a large hornet or wasp common in Canaan that could produce a potentially fatal sting. And these are mentioned first in Exodus 23:28, and again in Joshua 24:12. God says, I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also, the two Amorite kings you did not do it with your own sword and bow. So this implies non-mil- a non-military source. Regardless, the first cause of their military success will be because God will deliver them over to them, and no one will be able to stand up against them. And this would be fulfilled. See Joshua 21-44. Verses 25-26, to 26, one more thing. The images of their gods are to you are to burn in the fire. Do not covet the silver and gold on them, and do not take it for yourselves, or you will be ensnared by it, for it is detestable to the Lord your God. Do not bring a detestable thing into your house, or you, like it, will be set apart for destruction. Regard it as vile and utterly detested, for it is set apart for destruction. So vile and detestable are strong words, but God knew that gold and silver were things that were often coveted, and this coveting could lead to theft. They may have seen these things as spiritually neutral, but they were not. They were usually fashioned into idols, and the danger was that they would bring them into their homes. Then, like the sentence on the detestable things themselves, they would also be set apart for destruction or accursed. And this would be a factor in the sin of Achan, recorded in Joshua chapter 7. So to prevent this, they had to see these things as God did. And we should also hate the things God hates and have our hearts broken by the things that also break God's heart. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? When the Israelites conquered the Promised Land they were to be ruthless with their enemies and show them no mercy. This was not a precedent but only for a time and place. We no longer deal with sinners in that way since our enemies now are spiritual. We are part of the army of God, armed with the armor of God, fighting the good fight of faith through many tribulations until the day when we rest from our labors and receive our reward and return victorious with Jesus Christ. We need to be prepared for warfare even if we are currently at peace. But we are to be ruthless with sin in our own lives as Jesus described in Mark 9, 43-49. And although they were assured of victory, they still had to fight. And although we are assured of victory, we must still fight against sin in our lives. The promised land had to be purged of evil because it is a picture of heaven where all sinners are outside, banished eternally, while believers are safe inside. They were not to intermarry with pagans. Christians should not marry non-Christians because the likelihood is that the Christian will more likely be influenced for bad than the unbeliever for good. Moses calls the Israelites a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. And Peter applies these names to the church, made up of Jews and Gentiles. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And Paul uses this name as well. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Because that is who we are. We are to live up to our holy calling. They were to avoid idols, and we are to avoid them as well. They were chosen not because of any inherent uh, merit, moral superiority, greater intelligence, or military prowess in themselves, but purely because of God's love and covenant. We are elected to believe simply because of God's love and new covenant. God sent hornets among their enemies. They would be blessed if they would obey. They were reminded that God was a faithful God. He remains faithful so we can trust him. They were told not to fear because their victory was sure. We don't need to fear either. Since we are on the winning side see the book of Revelation for proof. It is because Jesus has overcome the world and now our faith gives us the victory. I haven't counted them myself but I've read that the Bible says fear not or don't be afraid 365 times or one for every day of the year so we should never be afraid. All creatures are under his sovereign control. Even insects serve his kingdom. God would remove their enemies little by little. This is like sanctification, which is the process of God making us holy little by little. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P. H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Deuteronomy chapter 8. May God bless the study of his word.